When someone's scared to take a step forward, what they need to know is you have, they have someone walking beside and who will listen to them. I have, I have a posse of people who listen to me whine every Friday at two o'clock for the last seven years, four very powerful coaches get on the, we, we've been getting on this call and they will listen to me whine and be victimy and all the things that I'm not allowed to be because I'm a leadership coach. So I can get it out. Like, oh my God, I'm just so scared to press send on this LinkedIn article. Like, what are people going to say? Great, Mark. Thank you for sharing. I totally get it. You know, I, it feels real. Press send. Guys, let's get this party started. I'm super excited. We've got uh, on the show today, okay, we've got an all-star guest for you, okay? We've got uh, Mark Silverman, okay? And he's an executive coach, keynote speaker, and author of the upcoming book, Rising, it's the Rising Leader Handbook. Guys, I'm gonna tell you something, I need this, okay? The Rising Leader Handbook. That's got my name all over it, okay? So I wanna just go ahead and open this thing up. Uh, and Mark, could you share a little bit about your journey and actually what inspired you to focus on developing rising leaders? What, what helped you know inspire that whole mission of yours? First of all, I feel like I walked into my basement studio and walked into an unexpected party. This is crazy. <laughs> this is so much fun. The energy before the call, before the mics turned on and everything. This is great. Uh, so this is kind of an unexpected journey for myself. Uh, when I started out being a coach, uh, I never called myself a leadership coach. I was kind of a, 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 a productivity coach, maybe a life coach, uh, that kind of thing. And if you look at my public persona, over the last 10 years, uh, I'm Oprah. I show up as Oprah on uh, you know, LinkedIn or, or Facebook or Instagram. <clears throat> what do you and, mean by that? What do you mean you show up as Oprah? I got to know what that means. So the, re so the reason I'm a coach okay. is because I crashed and burned on my way to the 1%, on my way to, making, you know, to being successful. Uh, I destroyed myself, I, my health, my mental health, my marriage. Right? I, I paid the price to be successful. And we'll talk about the origin story before that meal. I was, I was homeless and living in my truck. And No way. Yeah. So it was, it was. Dude, it was, let's dive into that. I need to hear all this story, man. I don't know your story. So you're going to have to share it to me. Like, right. I don't know. I'm, I'm a stranger, man. Tell it to me. <laughs> so, so, all right, cool. So let's, so when I came to Washington, DC in 1989, uh, I was looking to borrow some money from my brother because I was homeless and living in my truck. Uh, and, uh, I had drank my, I was, I was a drug addict and a drunk and, uh, mm. you know, just kind of not a going human concerned at 27 years old. It's so funny because my son is 26 and a half. We just did a, a video of my life and, uh, we showed a picture of me at, at the same age and, you know, now he's 26 and it was interesting to see I was 135 pounds in the picture. I had just showed up in Washington, DC, uh, to borrow some money from my brother, uh, wound up getting sober. My brother said, you know, if you're going to stay with me, you need to go uh, to AA meetings and NA meetings and get yourself clean and sober. You need to go to the gym with me and you're going to take college classes. So it took me until about 40 years old to get a college degree. Mm. But from there, you know, waiting tables, going through college and then getting a job as a salesman and, 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 you know, sobriety is kind of an amazing thing. I flunked out of college at 18, got straight A's and was the um, presidential scholar award recipient to Georgetown, you know, in my, in my thirties, which was really interesting. Didn't come with any money, so I didn't go to Georgetown, but uh, it, it was so nice to see that, you know, take drugs and alcohol out of it. And I actually still had some skills. Several years later, I found myself married 
two kids, a uh, millionaire driving a nice car, wearing Hugo Boss suits. Hold know. on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're skipping so much in there. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. so, so I'm like, I'm like hearing, okay, you know, drugs and alcohol. And, and then your brother came into your life, right? And he kind of said, hey, listen, you, you got to cut that nonsense out. You got in school. You know, and then all of a sudden you're a millionaire. So, so it, it, felt, it felt like that, right? So I was waiting tables and going to school. Then I got a job as a sales guy. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm, let's let's I'm, get into uh, that. Right, you want to you want to know the whole story? Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I gotta dig into this, man. Come on. This is it. Uh. So so I I I I I talked my way into a professional job at the hotel. I was working at the Four Seasons in Georgetown. And uh, I just, my whole family was in the restaurant business my entire life. I was, you know, I thought I was going to be nothing but a waiter. When I asked my, my then wife to marry me, I said, you know, I may be nothing more than a waiter. Are you okay with that? Uh, and she came from an affluent family and I, you know, they all embraced me and they loved me just for who I was. Uh, but when I got my first job as a salesman, uh, it was, it was really overwhelming to me because I'm an introvert and I don't like to bother people. Uh, but I took a personality test and they said, you should either be a lawyer, a writer, or a, uh, salesman. And I was like, I'm never going to be a lawyer. Cause I'm never going to, it's going to take me for a while to get a regular college degree. Uh, I can't write at a sixth grade level, even though now I'm a, an author. Uh, me and, too. Uh, so, I, so I took a sales job and I remember, I, rem I remember the first interview I went on, it was, uh, uh, copy sales, uh, you know, you, people used to go door to door to sell copiers. And the salesman, mm. when I came back from uh, a trial run, he said, Silverman, don't ever be a salesman. He says, you're a nice guy. You don't have what it takes. Uh, so I got my first sales job. Uh, and uh, what I realized, I was sucking at it really bad because I didn't like to bother people. And what I realized was that uh, my connection with people, my, able, my ability to serve, my ability to uh, listen, to help, uh, was my superpower. And mm, when I started, okay. instead of selling, when I started trying to serve and when I tried to start being helpful, uh, my career took off. So, you know, I was making $26,000 a year, uh, when I got married, the next year I made, you know, 50,000 next year I made a hundred thousand. Right. And I, I kept doubling my income and getting new sales jobs. Uh, to the point where now I'm driving a Lexus convertible, right? I'm living in a million dollar house and I'm the committee chair for the Boy Scouts and I'm, I'm all these things, right? Like, and it's like the short Jewish Tony Robbins story. Like, you know, thank God for sales. You know, yeah. I got to stop you right there. Thank God for sales for people like me and you. Okay. Cause listen, I got a similar background. I, listen, I, I wasn't supposed to make it either. Uh, I was actually a felon at 13 years old. And, you know, luckily it was under my juvenile and all that, but I sold drugs and I was that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. We're, we're you know what I'm saying? Like, listen, I was a screw up and uh, you know, when you're a child, you act like a child, when you grow up, you know, you start stop thinking like a child. But anyways, like I, uh, I, I made a lot of mistakes and I got into sales really early on, which was great because that helped give me an opportunity where there really wasn't any other opportunity for me but sales give me that opportunity. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, thank I, God for I, sales, I, right? I, I agree because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a neighborhood with doctors and lawyers and, and, and people who have really right? hard to get where they are. And, yeah, I make you know, as much so, as a doctor and lawyer. I mean, right? you know what I'm saying? And I don't, I didn't have to go to school for eight years or whatever. So anyway, who's, who's the smarter one? Hmm. Right, just saying. Right? No, I'm just <laughs> I, I actually used to, I used to tell people, I used to have a, I had a saying that people were, uh, uh, the only reason people were, went to college was because they were too stupid to figure anything else out. Oh. Mostly, mostly because I was jealous 
that I couldn't drink and do college at the same time. I couldn't put those two things together and everybody else seemed to be able to do that. <laughs> like, you know, if I could just have figured out how to get drunk and high and still go to class, that would have been great. Uh, but that didn't work out. So anyway, I found myself in status symbol land. I, you know, just kind of crushing it and living like this life that was foreign to me. It was very mm. foreign to me. Uh, you know, I'm sure like with, with you, with your background, you know, the, the suburban living you're probably doing now is, is a very different thing than you imagine for yourself. Uh, and what happened was I drove myself so hard. I was all things to all people all the time because I had to prove that I wasn't this homeless guy, that I wasn't the drunk and the alcoholic, that I wasn't mm. the loser that I felt inside. Uh, so I drove myself really hard. And what happened was, uh, uh, I, you know, the cracks started to come. The insides didn't match the outside and the deep work that needed to be done, the trauma work, the, the stuff that, you know, to help me move into midlife, to move into that next phase, just came out to the outside. So what happened was stone cold sober without taking a drink or a drug, uh, my career started going in the toilet. And uh, I couldn't sell anymore. And I was having panic attacks. Every time I'd, I would walk the halls and I'd run into, uh, you know, a CIO that I worked with for years and I would have a panic attack and have to run into the bathroom to catch my breath. Um, well, why do you think the panic attacks were happening? Is it because, okay, so I'm going to, I'm trying to see if I can understand it. You tell me if this is the same for you. Because I know what I'm capable of, sometimes when I'm not, like if I'm running at 50% and I'm not running at 100%, it actually compounds because I know, like, I don't know, like I get in my own head. I'm like, oh, man, I know I'm not I'm not doing I'm not saying the right things. I'm not doing like and I beat myself up. So all of a sudden it gets even worse. And um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that if if that makes sense or not, but it, it totally it totally makes sense. You psych yourself out before you yeah, even start. Right. Correct. Right. Like, I know what I'm capable of. And so when I'm running at 50 percent or whatever, I'm like, wait. Uh, I get in my own head and I just, and I get anxious actually, because I know I'm not living up to my potential and it makes me anxious and it actually makes me even worse. So I don't know if that's what you were running into, but tell me, tell me why were you were getting anxious? I, I, I found out, I figured out after what I was running into, I didn't know what I was running into. All I know is I couldn't sell anymore. My career was going in the toilet. My, mm. I started getting sick all the time. I had pain in my body. I was losing weight uh, and I was getting sick all the time. Uh, and then my marriage started falling apart. Next thing I know, I'm living in an apartment around the corner from my kids and my ex-wife and everything had just fallen apart. And I was, I was, I was sick and miserable and depressed and suicidal. Oh no. And, and uh, and I didn't know what the hell was going on. And, uh, what I now know in hindsight was it was all the childhood trauma. It was all the, all the internal work that needed to be done in order to be able to inhabit the life that I had created, uh, that, that I just kind of missed. Um, so it all kind of fell, it all kind of fell apart. Uh, what happened was I real I thought I was going to die. Uh, I was, I was told that, you know, I, I was misdiagnosed over and over again. It turned out it was total trauma and stress and stuff, but I was, so I, so I decided if I was going to die, I was going to do three things. Uh, this was 2008 or 2009. I think it was, uh, I said, I'm, you know what I am going to, I need to make a million dollars and leave that to my kids and my ex wife. Like I want to make sure my, my family's okay. I'm going to give $60,000 to charity. Cause I just hate myself and I want, somehow I got to make up for it. 
Uh, and then uh, uh, somebody, I heard someone on the radio say that everybody can run. Stu Middleman, this, this ultra marathon, he said, Any, anybody can run. Uh, anybody can run a marathon. So I called him up and said, and this was before the internet and, and you know, Zoom and all that stuff. I said, can you train me to run the Marine Corps marathon? And he said, yeah, I can, you can do it in about two years. I said, I can't run a mile, but I got to run it in October. That's eight months away. You got to train me. So I trained for the marathon. I ran the marathon uh, and uh, made the million dollars and gave the $6,000 to charity. And wait, 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 wait. Let me just make sure I got you. Okay. So you were preparing to exit and you were like, I got to make a million dollars for my family. Right. So I'm going to go run a marathon so I can win a million dollars. No, no, I was going to, I ran a marathon and I, I, I had just gotten a new job. Oh, okay. A job, a job, a, like the, it was, it was like, as soon as I had decided that I needed to do something, like the world just conspired for me. Mm. Uh, a friend of mine called me and said, I'm at this new startup. You're one of the best salesmen in the world. Come work for me. And I was just sucking at the job I was at. Um, and then I'm going to give you an engineer who I used to work with, who was amazing, right? So got the new job, heard Stu talk on the radio. So I said, all right, this is going to happen. I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to crush it at this job. I have a new start. I'm going to run this marathon. So my kids see what you do in this tragedy, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to be a warrior. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I was able to do those things. And it's really interesting because when, after, after I did that, right now, my career is fucking right back, right on track, right? My health is back. My mental mm. health is getting better because I was listening to every self-help book, every spiritual book, everything I could listen to while I was training. And I was meditating and I was journaling and I was doing all these things to build myself back up. And after that, my ex-wife said to me, she goes, you know, I was so worried about you because you were so depressed. She said, and uh, I was reading about what you should do if you're depressed. And she said, you did all those things. She says, I don't know how you knew to do those things, but you set yourself a purpose. Like I still wanted to die, but I was like, I was, I was on it because I couldn't do that to my kids. Mm. Hold on. I got to give you a mic drop for that. Hold up. There's a mic drop for that. Um, you know, Mark, so suicide runs in my family. Uh, and I've had, I have a couple family members who uh, have attempted many, many times, never been successful. <clears throat> thank God. But, um, yeah. And, and it's something that like, I don't know. I try to understand it, you know, because I mean, it seems like almost every holiday uh, I'm in the hospital with somebody, you know, I just figuring. lost. Uh, you lost who? who? I, just lost my, I just lost my brother. Your the brother. brother I'm, the brother. Oh, I'm brother. so sorry, man. Uh, he, I'm so he, sorry. He, he couldn't make it. Uh, and so, you know, 33 years later, he got me. So, you know, I, I owe my entire life to him. Mm. And, and he he couldn't make it uh so yeah that's dude i'm so so sorry that's like yeah my brother man uh every holiday man it seems like i'm sorry to hear that thank you appreciate it it's it's why i do what i do so back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, like what? So I, I teach leadership. I get people promotions. I get people more money. I teach people to be successful. But the thing I care about is watching all the people to the left and right of me, you know, the, the agreement we make to be in the 1% that we sacrifice our well-being, our mental health, right? How many people do you, you know, like I, I'm, again, I'm an introvert. I'm at a party 
and with a bunch of successful people, but I stand in the kitchen washing dishes. So I wind up, I wind up having conversations with people to find out what's really happening. The anxiety that people have, even though they look bright and shiny on the outside, people are anxious. And if you, if you look out in the world, COVID destroyed us, whatever you think about political stuff, the uncertainty that COVID brought added to the uncertainty from 9-11 to, you know, there's just so much uh, that is that's killing our allostatic load, our ability to cope with the stress that we're doing everything we can to look okay and we're not okay. And, um, and I'm not okay with people winning at life and then having it all fall apart like it did for me. So that's why I do what I do. And that's why I was Oprah for years. So when, when I was listening to all these self-help books, right, I made it my mission. I was like an ex-smoker. Uh, you know, I had an epiphany once uh, while I was reading a book uh, called uh, Relax into Wealth by Alan Cohen. And in that, it was years after the marathon. And I finally got that I was loved and that I was worthwhile and that I am like, I am a child of God, like my children are. Like, I finally got, like, I got that for the first time. And I was like an ex-smoker. Everybody has to know they're worthwhile. Everybody has to know that, that, that they don't have to do life the way they were doing. So that's why on, on the outside, every message I had on, on, on Facebook or Instagram or anything was about, you know, you're loved, you're worthwhile, you're amazing, you do, be on your own side, all that stuff. What was going on on the on the other side though is my in my coaching practice is my coaching practice moved from you know entrepreneurs and and uh, and and kind of life coachy business kind of coaching to leadership coaching but I didn't know that I was I was getting more and more I was being hired to uh, to, to you know this person's a bull in the china closet Mark totally talented amazing person but they got anger issues can you do something with them? I'm like I got them. Right. Or this person is overworking and they're dry, they're 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 killing themselves because they're doing their job and they're not leading. And uh, yes, I got that. I've been there. Right. So. Yep. So, so my job, you know, all I, I have a waiting list for my client, you know, for my for my um, coaching practice. Uh, and we looked at, you know, I was trying to figure out what my group program was. And is it going to be my only tens, my old, my other book, Mastering Overwhelm, all the other stuff. And none of that felt good to me. So someone had me look at what my client roster is, and my client rosters are C-suite executives who are just kick-ass, but you know they, they've risen through the ranks so fast that their leadership skills haven't caught up. Uh, so, so, so that's what I do all day, every day. So that's why the, you know, the next book is going to be called The Rising Leader uh, Handbook. Where do you start with someone like that? Like, you know, you got this, uh, this person who's just crushing it. Um, where, where does it start? I mean, does, do they, um, obviously they've got to understand that they, they probably have an issue, right? They've got to be willing and to, to accept the fact that they need help, right? Otherwise you can't really help somebody who's doesn't think they have an issue, right? Right. And a lot of, a lot of people who, who are successful to, to a certain point. So back when I had the mastering over mastering midlife podcast, I had this premise that what, uh, what, you know, the, the drives and motivations that get you through your twenties and thirties. Right. Uh, you know, and you know, for me, it was that I don't want to look like a homeless person, success at all costs, pleasing mommy and daddy, whatever it is that drives you to that success starts to turn on you in your forties and fifties, because it's not, it's not a sustainable drive. Right. A lot of us made a lot of money trying not to be certain things and trying to prove things. But then as as life turns, there's a different there's a different it, it, life asks something different. I, I totally. I, yeah. Like, OK, so I'm I'm 36 now. Right. And 
like I told you before, so in my teenage years, I was a screw up and got in a lot of trouble. Then in my 20s, I got in the auto industry, started selling cars. So I got into sales, right, and started crushing it. And it was all about money and not looking like a screw up anymore. Like that was my motivation. I wanted to be successful because I wanted to win the trophies and be the best and the top producer and all of that because like I was trying to reinvent myself. I didn't want to be this freaking loser anymore that I was. And so I wanted to to do that. And that was the motivation. And obviously the money was very like the money was a m- motivator. And then now that I'm in my 30s, you know, again, it was about winning and then it became recognition it for for a long time it was i wanted that i wanted the be the applause and like yeah you know you, you know you're the best and then now it's like it's not even about the money or the recognition uh it's more about the impact that i'm able to make on other people and uh money and and recognition and all that that's all secondary uh but it does come with it which is nice all those things are still there. They're still drivers for me, but they're secondary drivers. The first impact, uh, it's impact first now is my big driver because when I get those DMs from somebody that I've made a big impact in their life or I've helped lift them up or kept them from thinking about suicide, that's a big one for me. When I get those DMs, which I get a lot, that's like, oh man, like I helped give somebody a lifeline, you know what I mean? And um, that to me is more worth more than gold worth more than any recognition, you know? Um, so anyways, it does change over time. So that's not in any ways that's uh that's going to drive you to even further success. Because again, when you become other focused in that fashion as a leader, that changes everything. So up until a certain amount of time, most, most leaders who rise through the ranks quickly are me oriented, uh, you know, are, are just, you know, career success, proving themselves, that kind of thing. So the, the paradigm shift I have to do is when you became a leader, your job changed. Everything about your world changed. Uh, so I, you know, on, on my podcast, I interview uh, CEOs. And uh, I've had the f- good fortune to have some of the m- most amazing CEOs and, and leaders, uh, business leaders um, uh, in interviews. And to a, to a one, uh, every single one of them that has been so successful has been other focused. All they talk about is how much they care about the people that work for them, right? uh, How how much interest they have and how much time they spend coaching, understanding, listening, right? And guiding uh, uh, their, their people. And that paradigm shift you know, we talked before before the mic went on. You were saying your business is growing, and you have to move from solopreneur solopreneur and doing doing everything to success through others. And you have to learn how to do that gracefully, right? That's the hardest transition. I was just talking to a client earlier about coaching one of one of his people, and he said his he can't get he can't get his person out of the weeds because he was so good at his job, and he's not good at leadership yet. So the comfort food is going back to doing what you were good in, good at rather than working on the leadership skills because leadership skills aren't as immediately fulfilling as getting the job done. Right? It's so it's so funny. It's so funny what you're talking about all this because I've wanted it. It's always been a desire for me for a long, long time. Um, even that's why I left the auto industry is because I wanted to lead and train and develop some of the other salespeople because I was the top producer and I wanted to.
I had a desire to help them, you know, learn what I learned, you know, and they wouldn't allow me to. And so that's a big driver of why I was like, deuces, I got to, you know, you're not going to. Anyways, I wasn't able to grow there. And so 100 percent, that's you that that that's the definition of someone who should be a leader. Right. If you if you I, that was I, when I was going to become a sales manager, uh, one of the one of my directors said to me, if you don't get more satisfaction at watching other people succeed than you do yourself, you're going to hate this job. Right. Uh, yeah. So so that that was that was an early indication of what I do. So now for me, what I what I have to do is I have I have to show them that, again, you chose to be a leader. This is your job now. And now your job is is playing four dimensional chess because you have to lead up. You have to you have you have to be able to manage your manager. You have to be able to be a trusted advisor. You have to be able to lead on a team of peers, right? Everybody uh, to you know laterally to you are good at what they do, or maybe they're not good at what they do, and you still have to work with them. So you have to be able to lead while you're while you're part of a part of a team. Shine as and be a team player. Got you have to lead your team. And then you have to take care of yourself. You have to become the best person you can be. So lead up, lead across, lead your team and lead yourself, which is the premise of what I do. Yeah, I, I see that here. Um, okay, so talk to me real quick about uh, the new upcoming book. Okay, it's the Rising Leader Handbook, right? And uh, can you give us a sneak peek into what uh, the readers can expect? Is it uh, a deep dive into leading up across in your team or or uh, is there, you know, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. It's, it's, it's not a deep, uh, it, what I love about it is it's a handbook. Uh, okay. It, it's, uh, it's rules of thumb for becoming a trusted advisor. In other words, mm. and, you know, pick a hill to die on is one of the things that all my clients learn from me really quick. You know, if you're taking, if you're taking every hill, nobody's going to listen to you. You've mm. got to decide which battles you're going to fight. Uh, what's <sighs> important here? Right? Mic so, I get I get caught up in that too. I get caught because listen, my my like I'm naturally kind of a little bit of a fighter, okay? A little bit of a, a a rebel, a little bit, okay? Just a little bit for everybody online, okay? Just a little bit, okay? And uh, so yeah, that's really good wisdom. There is you know picking uh, uh, picking your battles because sometimes I just I just want to be right. <laughs> Which, you know, hey, listen, I'm human. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy, right? Right. Uh, And the way that translates for leadership is, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Mm. Right? Because because, uh, our egos get in the way almost all the time of being the most effective we can. We get, we get slighted. We want, we demand respect. We're not getting credit when they didn't talk to us this way instead of, you know, and one of the sayings I have is, you know, the person who's grounded and centered in a meeting Mm. has all the power. Mm. Mic drop. If you can take, <laughs> you can take your ego out of the meeting, you win, right? Because you can listen, right? You you and you can, <sighs> you can get to the essence of what's going on. I got to remember that. Take your ego out of the meeting, okay? Take your ego out of the meeting. That's good because, yeah, for me, like respect is such a big thing, and I think that's uh, a big for for men in general. Men just like. You know, uh, with women, I think it's um, trust and protection, right? Like they want to want to be protected. And and like for men, they want to be respected. Like that's one of the biggest things. It's like, you know, Um, and so like that's something that I have to remember is take your ego out 
and just center yourself, right? Center yourself and uh, pick your battles. Yeah. So remember, if you respect yourself, you don't need respect from anybody else. Ooh, I like this. Y'all see why I brought this man? You see why I brought this man? I knew it. I knew it. I like it. So, so here's here's the cool thing is you don't have to wait. The book's going to be published in October as long as I get this week is the deadline uh, uh, for my my the rest of my manuscript. But um, uh, there's a there's a 28 page summary of the book which has links and and tools and all kinds of stuff right on my webpage. You go on my webpage, big red button. You can get uh, uh, the the advanced summary of the book, and you can also get my other book, Only Tens. Um, confront your to do list, transform your life, free on the on the on the podcast on the website also i just appreciate what you do and why you do it okay it's also a motivator for me because i told you a little bit about you know my background with my with my family my brother and my mother and stuff like that um and suicide and all of that so it's a big driver and a big motivator for me my purpose and mission is um i saw these uh job seekers um going through a really hard time and they were having a hard time getting back to work and, you know, all that rejection, let's say it takes them a year to get back to work, like a year's worth of rejection, a year's worth of feeling like you're not valuable or no one wants you and all those different things. They get really depressed, really anxious, stressed. Um, they're watching their bank account go backwards. It just it leads to marital problems. You know, all it's like a domino effect in their life. And um I, I just saw this with within these people and I saw the hurt and um, we have lost a few of those uh, uh, job seekers along the way. I've been doing this for a long time. And um, so anyways, it's a big driver for me to to help try to motivate, lift, inspire, educate, to help keep people moving forward one foot in front of the other, to give them hope, you know, um, and so I just appreciate what you do, Mark. I really do. I appreciate the spirit in which you lead. Um, so real quick, I also know uh, you've delivered some really powerful keynote speeches, okay, uh, on leadership and personal growth. Could you share one of the most memorable speaking experience you've had? And uh, what was the message that you were conveying to the audience? I was leading a workshop uh, from uh, in, in, in the context of a bigger, bigger meeting. Uh, they gave me the stage for about a uh, half hour. And uh, I brought a, a, a process where people listened to each other and then appreciated each other. They shared the gold that they, that they saw in the other person. Uh, you know, I, had, I had them go in, in triads and I had them share the gold they saw in themselves. Uh, and, the, and, the, and then the, the, um, the detriments, the, the negatives they saw in themselves. And then I had the other people share the gold they saw in the other people. And the profundity in the room uh, and how hard it was for people to allow for the gold that other people saw in them was, uh, was mind-blowing to me. Yeah, that was that was one of the most. That's not something I do often, but that was that was a really powerful. Um, so you had them share their perception of the other person, the gold, the value, the first the. They, first they shared the first they shared the the detriments of themselves. You know what they mm. hated about themselves. Okay. Then they shared the gold about themselves. Okay, sure, sure. Then they had. Then I had the rest of the circle share the gold 
for other people. And that was the hard part. It was so easy to talk about how, what a shit you are. It's so, it's so, you know, how inadequate you are, how much you don't like this. And it was a little bit easier to talk about, Oh, I like this about myself. This is okay. You know, sheepishly. Uh, But when other people say, you know, I love the way you light up a room. I, I just met you and I can feel, you know, this or that the tears and the, the pain actually, right? The pain that people felt to allow, to, to allow that in was what was profound. It's like, how, how do you be on your own side? It, it, that's the hardest thing in the world. It's easy to beat yourself up. It's not easy to be on your own side. And, what, and I, I love what you're saying because when I'm thinking of this, I'm also thinking about how much we need to, as, as a society, we need to speak life into other people um, because you're right. It, it's so much easier to talk bad about yourself and not really often see your own gifts, right? You, you don't, you're too close to the trees to see the forest, right? You, you, you're too, you, you know, and you're doing your trauma, dude. You're just yeah. like, we're, we're all five-year-olds just trying to work out what happened to us way back when in these, in these adult bodies, but so, other people see it. Other people see your gift. They see that thing that makes you special. Um, and so what I think is, is awesome. And this is something I like to do. I like to share that with people like, Hey, you know, like this is what you're awesome at because I've had people, um, in my life, in my story, it is all about who, you know, there are people that have spoke life into me that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And that meant the world to me. And I didn't want to let them down. So I gave it my all. And I stepped into that greatness that they were calling out of me, you know. And uh, I think that's important to do as leaders is to speak into people, to say, you know, and I can think of somebody right now, uh, my managing partner, uh, Mike Scoville, like that guy is freaking awesome. What a great leader. He's one of the best examples of leadership that I can tell you. And uh, he speaks life into me all the time. He believes in me. And, and I'm like, man, and uh, so I think we need to do that for others more often as a society. We need to just tell people when we see something special and to speak life into people because you never know what they're going through. And that could be the thing that keeps them moving forward. You just don't know. Or, or you hear, you hear years later, you say something to someone and then they come up to you years later and you, you know, they said, you said such and such to me and, yep. and that meant the world and it was nothing to you. Right. And, and it right. Was everything to them. Absolutely. I can think of somebody right now and I want your advice on this. Actually, uh, there's somebody who I know right now who has got a gift and a talent that is just phenomenal. And he's playing small. He's afraid. He's afraid to really step into it. He knows he's got a gift. He knows he has a talent. And everyone tells him he's got that gift and talent. He knows it. But he's afraid to step into it. And so I almost want to just tell him. I was thinking about it the other day because I feel like I owe it to him to say, hey, listen, do you know what your legacy is? Right now, what people are saying about you when you're not around is that you're so talented, you're so gifted, you have just this amazing gift, but you're afraid and you're scared. And that's right now, That's if, if you don't do anything about that, if we can't get past that, that's what's your legacy going to be, that, you, had, that you, you just missed it, man. You're just, you were too afraid to step into it. 
you know i, I don't know if that's the right thing to say to the guy or so not you really want my advice yeah i, I want to know what, on, what live, I, on, live on tv yeah i want to know what i should say to him to call he him knows. out to like like he doesn't need to be called out he knows he knows he's playing small but there's a reason he plays he's playing small he may not know the reason he's playing small but the 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 fear of playing bigger is very real to him right the fear of the fear of putting the rising leader handbook is very uh visceral for me putting my hat in the ring with all these guys who hang on the side of mountains and were former navy seals and i'm going to talk about leadership right uh is is insane to me Right. So I have to go past my fear of being ridiculed for calling myself a leadership coach, you know, when I don't hang on the side of mountains. Right. And I didn't I don't eat nails for breakfast. Um, <laughs> so so um, the imposter syndrome. Right. right? Like that's what they call the, it. The truth is I have eaten nails for breakfast. I, you know, like but uh, but anyway, so back to him is curiosity. Right. Compassion. What do you think is going to happen if you do this and listen? What, you know, you, this fear is very real to you. It may not be a real thing, but to you, it's very real. And just listen to what it is. because, And then you can say, oh, I totally get that fear. I had that fear, right? You know my background. Everything I do goes outside the comfort zone of my background. Your fear is unfounded. Or maybe your fear is founded. My fear is totally founded. People could ridicule me for this, for this book, right? And say, what, who the hell are you to write this book? But for me, I, I'm, I'm trusting that I will be okay no matter what happens. I do have a track record of being way more successful at everything I ever do than I, than I think I will be. Um, but you know, I, have to, I have to know I'm safe in here to fail, right? I'm okay if I fail. Uh, and that's the hardest thing in the world, right? To, to, you know, some people eat that for lunch. I don't, I don't like to fail publicly. Uh, yeah, nobody likes to fail, but I like it like this. Here's what I, here's what I have figured out. Okay. If you're going to fail, I want to fail so big. Like I want to crash the plane on the way down. I want it burning. Okay. Like I want to, at least I'm going to go so big that when I fail, like, like, okay, I'll just give you an example. So just with this uh, particular episode, now, this isn't a huge example, but okay, I got a lot of things going on technology wise that I'm running right now here. You know, I got Riverside, I've got Restream, I've got my Roadcaster, I've got the microphones, I got the da 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 I got all these different things going on, all these, uh, Script is running right now, all these programs. Okay, I was going to run it through Clubhouse. I'm like trying to be as omnipresent as possible. All right, because I want to spread the message as far and wide and deep, right? And then we had a thing, it didn't work right. You know, I'm like, okay, whatever, who cares? Just try it, you know, crash and burn if you have to. Um, and I had another example that's probably a little bit closer. I had an event that I packed out so much that people were just, it was so hot, man. It was people sweating and nasty. And I looked at the, the videotape later and I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do to these people? But you know what? We packed the house, you know, it probably wasn't the most pleasant experience for everybody in the world because there was too many people, but that's a good problem to have. I want bigger problems. That's what I think. I want bigger problems. Yeah, no, no question. I'm, I'm spending so much money on the, the, so funny. I wrote only tens 
Uh, and I thought my mother would buy a copy and I'd buy a copy. Uh, and it sold 1,500 copies uh, the first day. And it's it sold thousands and thousands of copies. Uh, did no promotion or anything with it. This one, I'm actually hiring a team and doing the promotion. So I'm going to fail big, right? Or, or succeed big, which, whichever it is. Uh, but back to your, back to your guy. Uh, you know, when someone's scared to take a step forward, what they need to know is you have, they have someone walking beside them, right? Like, like, and who will listen to them. I have, I have a posse of people who listen to me whine every Friday at two o'clock for the last seven years, four very powerful coaches get on the, we've, we've been getting on this call and they will listen to me whine and be victimy and all the things that I'm not allowed to be because I'm a leadership coach. Right. So I can get it out. Like, oh my God, I'm just so scared to press send on this LinkedIn article. Like, what are people gonna say? Great, Mark. Thank you for sharing. I totally get it. You know, I it feels real. Press send. Right? That kind of thing. So you yeah, you know, and you know, like I but the more 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 they're more than that. They they don't fault me for being too small, right? And they never let me, you know, they, they never, they, they help me be as big as I can be, right? Because I'm both, right? I'm, I'm both. I'm, I'm very small, very scared. I'm scared all the time, right? I do things anyway, but I do it with support. You know, always, like I don't do anything alone. Uh, so, so that's that, you know, so if you can tell your friend, I'm with you, I've been this road, take the step. If you fail, I'm here. If you succeed, I'm here. If you need to take another step, I'm here. You know, but listen to find out you know what what his fears are because because he's he's thinking he's most of us when we have fears we think there's something wrong with us and that we're the only ones who have these fears and most people don't know they're universal. That's one of the reasons why as a leadership coach I share what's going on on the inside all the time. I want people to know, you know, that I'm really human in here, uh, and I go do shit anyway. George Strait, George Strait, I remember, I remember an interview with George Strait years ago. George Strait is, is my, is my hero. He's my everything. Right. So, um, uh, in this interview, he's sitting on a stool and they say, you know, George, uh, you're so cool. You are just like the coolest man on the planet. And George says, well, you ain't living in here. And I was like, holy shit. George Strait just admitted that he has nerves, anxiety, and all those things, uh, and stuff going on. So if George Strait, you know, has that going on. I think I can because I'm I'm definitely not George Strait. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Okay, let's talk about your podcast real quick, okay? Because you've uh, you know you've interviewed some uh, some pretty pretty um, big folks. So tell tell us a little bit about the podcast. What can people expect there? What are some of your best episodes um, that people are like like must listen to episodes? They got to go check them out. Today's episode is the must listen episode. So I interviewed Larry Quinlan, who th this guy was the was the CIO for Deloitte Consulting, which is the biggest consulting group in the entire planet. Uh, it's the it's he's the global he was the global CIO. And what he talks about is how he's he was he was born in the islands. And he says, you know, I was a skinny black kid from the islands. And now I'm I, I'm a Hall of Fame CIO at the largest uh, uh, consulting firm. On the, on the planet and he's on the board of so many companies and every step of the way we were talking about this earlier he said someone believed in me someone gave me a chance someone supported me so it's all I, about who you know it. baby let's so that, go right so that that man he says i owe my career to all these people yes uh, and you know and before before that tom mendoza the president of netapp 
uh, another another masterclass in leadership and caring about your people and putting your people first. Nobody's been more successful, fastest growing companies in Silicon Valley history because he cared about his people. Right? Each one of those episodes to a person is, you know, Gary Ridge from, uh, was the CEO of WD-40. You know, he, he created a culture of caring. It was, they sell stuff that makes your things stop squeaking. But it's considered one of the best places in the world to work because they build culture. That's what every one of these conversations is. Uh, I have uh, the, the, the advisor to the CEO of ServiceNow, which is one of the biggest um, SaaS companies on the planet, uh, Kevin Haverty. And he talks about how to be a trusted advisor. How do you be that number two? That's a great job being the number two. You don't always have to be number one. But how do you become a trusted advisor? So we talk about leading up, leading across, leading your team. And then leading yourself, you know, being your best self. I love that. You guys need to go check out his podcast. Um, it's the Rising Leader Podcast. Is that right? Yep. Yep. You guys need to go check it out. Subscribe, you know, uh, give a little sample. You know what I'm talking about? And, you know, hey, give him a five-star review, okay? Those things help, you know. Uh, the podcast world, let me just tell you something. It's hard out here for a pod podcaster. You know what I'm saying? It, you know, we, we need those reviews, okay? Uh, we need you to share. You know, this stuff, guys, it, it costs money, time, energy, focus, right? And we do it because we're trying to make an impact out here. We're trying to serve people, okay? But we need you to help us get this message out. So, matter of fact, I'm going to ask you a big favor right now. If you're watching online or if you're tuning in on the podcast, uh, I want you to go and share this out. Share it with a friend. Hit that share button and uh, help us to, to get the word out. Make sure you subscribe to the uh, Rising Leader Podcast. Give them a five-star review to keep the word going. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for that. Absolutely. We appreciate you, man. We really, really do. Um, some final thoughts as we conclude the conversation. What is one piece of advice or key takeaway you would like to leave our audience, especially those who are aspiring to become rising leaders. Oof. Find out what your safety is. Find, lean into the thing that's your bedrock. Uh, before you go out into the world to try new things, to risk, to find out what makes you feel um, like who you are. Is it your family? Is it your religion and your spirituality? Right? Is it is it your physicalness and your CrossFit or whatever? Like, what makes you know you're okay and safe in the world? So when you go out, you you you're you're more willing to risk. You're more willing to get outside your comfort zone when you know you have that homing device. Love it, love it. You guys heard it here on the Who You Know Show. Let's rock. Let's roll. Let's go. Cash flow. Thanks for listening to the Who You Know Show podcast. My name is Trevor Houston, and if you've enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing wherever you listen and leave us a positive review to help us keep the mics on in the studio. Until next week, that's the show. It's all about who you know.